Stone Chats, Small Talks About Homeschooling, presented by Wildwood Curriculum, a Charlotte Mason education for all. So let's move on to dyslexia then. First, I want to say that there are so many myths surrounding dyslexia. The biggest one, I think, is that dyslexia is a reading issue. And it is not. Dyslexia comes from, dys comes from the Greek meaning difficulty and lexia meaning words or language. It's a, dyslexia is a difficulty with language. It includes reading and spelling. We often think of dyslexia as being a problem with reading because that's what we see as people observing. We don't see, because we don't have the training, to see that it's, it can be a problem with um, finding the words. It's the way that the brain processes language. Yep, that is true. Can you expand on that a little bit, Kim? Yeah, it is. Um, it has to do with, um, I was going to pull up really quick the exact, um, but um, yeah, it has to do with how the brain processes sounds and the auditory processing um, how it breaks words, letters, words, sentences. A lot of kids with dyslexia cannot, um, cannot tell the difference between a letter, a word, and a sentence. They don't understand the breakdown. They have trouble um, breaking words into syllables. They have trouble rhyming and finding patterns in those sounds because they don't have the auditory skills. They'll have speech issues. They'll have trouble actually pronouncing the sounds. It has to do with decoding. And um, one of the big messages, since you're on myths, is that my child can read, they don't have dyslexia, they just can't spell. Um, that is a huge myth that a lot of kids with dyslexia, spelling is the first time you notice that your child has dyslexia because they, kids with dyslexia have a higher than average IQs. Um, they are very smart and people wanna discount that because they can't read or they can't spell. So they think, oh, they're not very. No, exactly the opposite and these kids, kids become very good at figuring out how to memorize words. They'll memorize by shape. They'll memorize by context. It is amazing. And where it's hard to, to uh, hide it is in the spelling at the younger grades. Um, and they can kind of get away with it in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, because they can memorize and they can remember a word and then they'll, they'll remember it till the next time they see it. But at some point, your brain can't hold every word in the English language and it gets more and more. Um, and that's when it starts falling apart once you get a little bit older. But the spelling is the first place. And so I'll hear that all the time. Well, my child can read. They don't have dyslexia. And um, it's like that is a huge myth is kids with dyslexia can read. Most. Yeah. Depending on the severity of it, yes. Yeah, because my daughter is eight years old, and she cannot read. Jennifer's kids could not read until they were older. So I don't want people to think that since my child can't read, it must not be dyslexia either. I think we can get into some oh, absolutist yes. thinking, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yes. Um, it is, yeah, dyslexia can can fall anywhere in to learning to, to read or interpret the letters, interpreting words, interpreting symbols. Um, kids with dyslexia, some parents will find it where they're struggling is the math component. 
that's where they're really struggling. Others is their kids are not going to learn to read because they still haven't figured out the letters and sounds. It can show itself in so many different ways. And I think a lot of people think, oh, it's only about reversals. My child does not reverse letters. Yes. Then my child doesn't have dyslexia. And it's like, wait, no. <laughs> so it's, it's and only 25% actually of, of people with dyslexia actually reverse their letters and numbers. Yes. And I think that's also when we look at, the, we look at these checklists, right? Of these are the signs of dyslexia at preschool and at first and second grade. And we think, and you know, all the way through and we think, well, my child has three out of, five of these doesn't have all of them. So therefore can't be right. Like one of those things is a reversal. 75% of people with dyslexia do not reverse their letters. Yep. Many children and many people with dyslexia mess, um, mix up left and right, but not all of them. No. And many kids with dyslexia have um, really bad dysgraphia goes with it. Really bad handwriting but there are other kids and their handwriting is absolutely beautiful. They have no trouble forming their letters. It, every child is different. So another thing I wanted to say is that um, dyslexia is a neurological difference. Yes. It's brain wiring that was connected in the womb, so to speak, right? It's not something that the parents did or did not do. No. It has no bearing at all on whether you were reading to their, your child at two or if you were practicing their letters when they were four because we hear that a lot, right? The way to make sure that your child doesn't have any reading issues is to surround them with books and literacy and reading and to work on their letters when they're two and three years old and then you won't have any reading problems. Oh, I will add into that the notion of if your child reads 20 or 30 minutes every day, this will go away. A child with dyslexia, you can make them read every single day and you will not solve a single issue with a child with dyslexia. In fact, the research shows that children with dyslexia, in order to make progress when they're learning to read, actually should not be given anything to read because their brain actually needs to have needs to relax and focus only on the sounds and they need to develop those sounds and understand the patterns of language and reading actually slows that down. So your recommendation is in the first couple months of specific learning and tutoring in dyslexia is that you actually do not give your child anything to read. Obviously if they pick something up and want to read it on their own, let them don't stop them, but you don't want to give them anything to read. You want to read everything to them. And that's another myth. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Wow. So what are, um, what are the strategies for a child with dyslexia? I mean, we know um, using an Orton-Gillingham program. Yes. Orton-Gillingham is definitely, and some parents want to start. They go, okay, I know my child has dyslexia. I know I need Orton-Gillingham. Some parents will say, okay, I'm going to try Logic of English, which is an excellent my two favorites outside of Barton um, that are user-friendly for parents are all about reading, and I know you mentioned them, and Logic of English. Both are very good. I like Logic of English best out of that, and it works for kids with mild dyslexia. Um, anything beyond that, it will get them started, and they'll stall out again. And the parent will be like, I've used an Orton-Gillingham. At that point, when they stall out, you know, okay, I have to move to a Barton system. 
Um, some kids aren't even ready for that. Some kids still need auditory skills before any of that. And so at the very least, you can go on the Bright Solutions website um, and they have a dyslexia, um, a is my child ready for Barton? Even if you're not going to use Barton and you're going to use logic of English or something else, take the, have your, do the screener with your child because if they cannot pass that screener, it does not matter what program you use as far as logic of English, all about reading or Barton, they're not going to be ready for it. Um, there is a program called Foundation and Sounds, which is fabulous. That is a great program to use if your child cannot pass the screener because they need more um, auditory um, skills. Some kids need even more. They need the PASS program. Um, they need um, a much more in-depth than LIPS, but those are kind of the severe cases. And at that, in that point, most parents have kind of, by like nine or 10, most parents have figured that out. <laughs> And they're like, they're starting to search for a speech therapist or something because their child just isn't even making the sounds correctly. Um, but there's just different things that you, um, but definitely you want to find out, are they even ready to begin reading instruction? Do they have those skills? And it's a free screening. You just go on, do it. Um, I think you did do that, didn't you, Marjorie? I did. Yeah. Um, it's called the Barton Student Screening, I believe. Yes. And it's excellent. And then you can decide what to use. And my, my thing is if something you want to try something, say logic of English, and it doesn't work, and, but they're starting to grow and then they stall out, move to Barton. That's what I would do. And one of the, a couple of the things that you want to do is you don't want your child to read. We just talked about that. You want them. Don't do spelling. Don't do reading. Let them do the program do only what they're given in the program. And once they've reached a point where they begin to be independent in the program, then you can then begin to have them start reading um, some things outside of the, um, like Barton that you're using. I love, one of my favorite things to do is I love with Barton using the all about reading books once they've reached certain levels because the all about reading books are excellent controlled texts that the kids can then read. <laughs> so I like to combine those two. When a parent goes, oh, my child's looking for things to read, but everything's too hard. I'm like, oh my goodness, go grab an all about reading book, book number one. They'll be able to read the whole thing. And um, you know, once they re reach like level four in Barton, they can then go pick up some of those other programs and those other books and feel very successful. And that's what the key is. The kids don't feel successful because it's so hard. And then you want them to feel successful. So you never want to give them other things that are making them feel unsuccessful. And you want to give the brain time to absorb what they're learning, the rules, the sounds, and begin to make those connections. We did the Barton student screening. And I have to say, when I first looked at that, well, so originally we did logic of English at foundations level A which is the very, it, it's for kindergarten, basically, that's what they say. We stalled out on lesson four. Um, I emailed the creators asking, okay, what do I do? My child does not understand this, um, and she's just not able to do it. It was a uh, blending, I think. It was, you know, three sounds, blend them into the word, like uh, C-A-T, and then they just gave a sound and them into a word. She couldn't do it. She would just say random stuff like goat, you know, instead of cat. And it wasn't even that close. It would be like plain, right? Completely different. They told me, okay, go to two sounds then. 
go, 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 put them together. And she would say chair. Could not do it. Um, we stopped for a while, did a phonological, um, a phonological awareness curriculum that we found online that was I felt was very good. But when we went back to Logic of English, she still could not get past that lesson. So it was at that point that we did the screening. And I have to say, when I looked at that screening, I thought, of course she knows this. This is silly. And it was only my rule-following personality of, well, before we start this, we need to do this student screening that even made me go through it with her. And she failed spectacularly. That's all I can, I don't know any other way to say it. Um, and it was at that point that I realized that there were so many more deficits that I had not known about. Um, and shortly after that is when I called Kim. I just wanted to add into what you were saying too, is you are not alone in thinking that your kids have more skills than what you realize. Um, I cannot tell you how many parents I hear exactly what you just said. I had no idea. I, how did they not know this? How, how did I miss this? But you just, you, because it's so precise, you don't realize the small little steps that your child didn't quite catch because they can do so many other things. And that's why dyslexia, not that I can talk, dyslexia has been so hidden for so long because these kids can mask some of these um, skills that they don't have and they find ways to do things other, other places and you don't realize it until they get a little older. And what's awesome is that kids with dyslexia as I said earlier, they have high IQs. They tend to have very high IQs. They tend to be your big thinkers. They're very creative and they have such amazing skills in other areas. The, it's the reading part that they're just really struggling with. I mean, if you can go on and Google uh, famous people with dyslexia and you will find out that most of your big scientists, most of your actors, most of your big CEOs, they're all people with dyslexia because they think big, they think creatively, and they figure out how to work and do things in different ways because this was hard. And it, it actually kind of gives them a little extra perseverance than someone else. And they tend to do great things. So I just want to, you know, it, it's funny how time after time parents are surprised. They're like, oh, I had no idea. So yeah, the screening is a great place to start. If your child struggles, that's a great place to start to find out what skills they have and don't have. Here's one of the issues with parents having no idea, is children all the way up to adulthood hide it. And the reason that they hide it, they found out um, doing research that a, so I'm going to cry. Okay, so a person who cannot read when they feel like everyone else around them can has the same amount of shame as somebody in an incestuous relationship. Well, I have not heard that. That was on, there's a YouTube, it's a TED video, TEDx talk. Interesting. Really great. It's like 15 minutes long. I made sure my husband watched this. But yes, one of the things that he said was that 
a person who cannot read has the same amount of shame as somebody who is committing incest. And I know that um, adults with dyslexia that do not get intervention have um, an extremely high probability, like the amount of people in jail um, is 60% or 70% of the people in jail have dyslexia. They've gone in and done studies because they become the kids who think that they're failures because the teachers, you know, homeschool parents are, you guys are so blessed to be able to be home and have your kids home because if your kids have dyslexia or any other reading struggles and they are in school, they are told that they are dumb because the teacher sees how bright they are. They're told that they're dumb. Kids make fun of them. And then they become the class clowns and they begin, it just takes away at their self-esteem and they go on and they hide it and they find ways of doing other things and they're smart and they know they're smart. Why can't I do it like everybody else? Homeschool families have such an advantage over families that do not homeschool for that reason because you can figure out, okay, what's going on with my kid? You have time and you can figure out what you can do, what works for my kid. You can tweak things. You can do the Barton program and there isn't pressure from the outside. And in two or three years, they're caught up with all of their peers and it all just kind of disappears. Yes, they'll always have dyslexia. That's another myth. It goes away. No, it never goes away. Their brain is wired. Like you said, it's a neurological component. They're wi their brain is wired differently than other people. But you learn how to work around that wiring and you figure out a new way that works for you. It doesn't go away. You just make it much easier. They just do it differently. They learn to read in a different manner. They still learn to read and they become excellent readers. And many times they become better readers than their counterparts because they've had such explicit instruction. So one more thing specific to Charlotte Mason education, you told us um, when Lexi had her evaluation, when my daughter had her evaluation with you was to wait on foreign language until she's reading at grade level. Yes. This has been very difficult for me as a Charlotte Mason mother because Charlotte Mason recommended that children start learning a foreign language, their first foreign language, before they even start academic instruction at six. Mm -hmm. When they're three and four years old, they should be learning their first foreign language orally. And then they learn, they begin a second foreign language when they're about 11 10, 11 years old, they start Latin at that point, and they might even go into another foreign language later on. She was so big on foreign language, and you said no. Okay, I know. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. And there's, there's actually research, there's research base behind it, and here's why. And I know it's hard. Um, is a child who, um, with dyslexia, they have auditory differences. Um, they do not um, process sound in the same way a child that does not have dyslexia. So when you add in, even if it's orally, they're still struggling to learn the English language. They're still struggling to learn the sounds appropriately, to pronounce them pr properly, to hear them properly, to put them on a page and process them properly. Um, when they are struggling in one language, 
adding another whole set, even if it's just orally, you are adding another whole set of sounds that they have to process, they need to work on. Their brain, it, it's an overload. It's too much on their brain to process. So they really recommend that you do not start a, a foreign language until they have the English language down, not even orally. If you need to do another language, and especially these older kids that have to make it through high school and stuff, do sign language. If you really want another language early on, do sign language because you're missing the oral. You're not interfering with the instruction that you're doing for the kids with dyslexia. Once they have gotten through the Barton program, what's really cool is you'll love this part for the <laughs> Charlotte Mason fans. Is the last two levels of Barton, levels nine and 10, and you get a little bit of it in uh, six or seven, we talk about Greek words and why the PH and why the Y and that type of stuff. And you do learn some of the root words. Nine and 10 is all Latin based. And why, and they, she really goes into that introduction of where are the base words? What is the vocabulary? What, how does this affect the language it is so important the kids to understand because foreign language is so difficult they need specific instruction in that and they will not pass testing and stuff in high school the SATs and all of that where you have to understand vocabulary and where it all came from so she goes into that an introduction into that in levels 9 and 10 for them and at that point you are free to start a foreign language if your child um, is take the foreign but when um when you're trying to do it earlier um you're really interfering in that process of them learning one language first because you got to remember the introduction of that foreign language is for the 80 percent that their brains are wired in a traditional manner the kids with dyslexia they have a different brain wiring and they don't hear those sounds and you're, you're just causing an overload and literally it will slow down just the same thing of giving them spelling words and reading when you're um, trying to tutor them at the beginning, you slow down that learning process and they end up not learning either language well. And that's not what you want. You want them to be proficient in at least one language, then add in a second language. So you're kind of going about it at a different, you don't want to say, oh, never. Some, some kids are like, okay, the English language was hard enough. I don't even want to learn another language. Other kids go on, especially the ones who are caught younger, they go on to learn two, three languages. There's no reason that they can't, um, but it takes, and a lot of times they'll learn it orally and the written part is really difficult. They might learn it a second language orally, but they won't learn it in written because it's, it's, you you're still dyslexic in every language. That carries through. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah, when you said that, <laughs> they're dyslexic in every language. I, I get it. It's still, it's hard for me to accept, <laughs> um, especially because I love learning languages. That's one of my, that's one of my things. I went off to German camp when I was in high school because I just love learning languages so much. And then for, I, I know my, my daughter and my son um, who are undiagnosed, but well, my son was diagnosed to the school and they don't use the term or did not at that time use the term dyslexia. They called it a specific learning disability in, in reading do. and writing. Right. They still do. Um, right. 
So they both had a horrible time learning languages. And I just thought that it was because they weren't trying hard enough. Um, no. <laughs> because, right. Right. I under, there's so many things that, um, that I wish I had known 15 years ago. But we go on with, with what we have now, right? right? So I would love to have you come back and address um, myths, questions. I'd love to learn more about Diane Craft's resources and what she does. You and I had talked about that at, um, yeah. before. I'd love, I'm sure Lori would be very interested in that also. Um, and I'd like to, to talk about what what the diagnostic process is, what evaluations consist of. If you think that it's, um, if you are positive that it's not dyslexia, but your child is still having a reading struggle, what to do then, you know, uh, in terms of the diagnostics. Um, so that, that's what I would like to talk about on another episode, but I know you have to go and that's going to take a whole nother episode. Yeah, <laughs> So, um, yeah. And I want to throw in, in some other options because I just looked at Barton. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. It's expensive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly why I tried Logic of English first. What are your options? Uh, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. I just looked at that and I'm freaking out. It is. Um, <laughs> We're farmers. Yeah. We don't have much. Yeah. It is very expensive. I know in Arizona – we are beyond blessed to have um, some extra resources available over the last few years to help pay for some of that. But that is not true in other states and other countries. Um, so yes, it is. And that is why some parents decide to do the tutoring. Um, they, they hire a tutor because um, it can be actually less expensive to hire a tutor than it is to buy the program. Um, so it depends on how quickly your child learns, which might be the um, less expensive route. And yes, um, the other thing is there are, there are places on, um, that people sell. Um, I know there's a link on the Barton website that people will sell their used Barton. Um, so you can get it used. Um, I have heard, but I have not seen it in my area, that some libraries are actually carrying it and you can check it out and use it. Um, so, you know, there might be literacy centers. I've also heard that there are literacy centers that carry it that are available for use for parents. So there, um, there are, there are ways to get around it. I know, I know of several families in my area that they all went in together. They're in a homeschool group and they realized, Oh, all their kids were doing the same thing. And they, they all pooled their money, bought it, and then they're passing it around to each family. Um, so there are ways of doing it less expensive, but you got to get creative because it is expensive. But at the same point in three years, your child can read. Um, and there are not a lot of options out there that say that. <laughs> so it's, yeah, you've got to get very creative. I've also heard that the Shriners, is that right? That they have a program that's Orton Gillingham. Um, oh, they I might. I will. Um, they've got a like a tutoring program. When I looked into it, there was nothing near me. 
um, to use. But I've also been told to check into a local, your local children's hospital to see if they have a literacy program. Yeah, there are some, I know for adults, there's, there's adult literacy programs and some of them will see kids. Um, they have grants for that. Um, so yeah, you have to check your area and kind of get really creative because unfortunately the information is not out there. You have right. to hunt for it and each area is different and what's available and find out some, you know, I know there are some states that are, um, funding is becoming available for dyslexia tutoring and it's a state by state, um, you know, it's a state by state type thing on what's available and what literacy centers are popping up and depending on income levels, you can apply to get reduced rates and all kinds of stuff. But it really, you know, every state is doing it differently. Every place is doing it differently. Um, I know here in Arizona, we are, we actually have resources available to us that a lot of states don't have right now, which is awesome since Arizona is one of the places that the schools don't recognize dyslexia in the school, which is why I think some of these resources are becoming available because kids with dyslexia cannot get help in the school. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. We'll do a nature minute. Yay! Okay. One minute. <laughs> Lori, go ahead and start. I'm excited for the nature minutes. <laughs> it is the last day of September and we are still picking peaches. It is crazy. We've had such a year. Um, so yeah, we're very excited. We're totally into fruit. The peaches are still coming off. We're watching the apples come off, the plums. Um, the trees and the mountains are starting to turn colors. Uh, yeah, fall is here, but peaches at Apple Fest. I'm excited. It's crazy. What can I say? <laughs> Um, uh, I, let, yeah, we actually, we went camping this weekend too. So the great thing that I would say with us being here in Arizona is that yes, we got dumped on. So everything is green right now. Everything is blooming. Our windows are open because it is way cooler. Um, and yes, there are birds in the morning. Um, and it's for, for the first time, it's an Arizona fall. I know it's not fall anywhere else. We're still in the mid 80s, but it's just beautiful. And I love it. I love the smell in the air and just that hint that there's life after heat. Yes. And this is really the first week we felt it because we had the rain, everything's clean and crisp and it's all blooming and green and I'm loving it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Jennifer? Oh, we had our first frost. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's hovering, it's hovering, um, it's hovering about five degrees today. And so we're seeing the last of the birds and Celsius. yeah, Celsius. I'm not sure what that is. It's cold. It's cold. It's cold. We're wearing mittens <laughs> here. So, um, yeah, we're the last of the birds, uh, are coming through. We're, um, the geese are almost done by now. And I've seen the robins are long gone and the grackles, um, they're one of the last birds to go. They, 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 um, huge hordes of them because they will, 
I'm just totally losing my words. <laughs> Love that I get to edit this. Um, they migrate together, um, even though they live independently in the area. So what happens in the fall when it starts getting really cold like this is you suddenly get hundreds of the birds that will be uh, staying in an area. And so then we get all of those swarms that happen. Like you sometimes see them in uh, England. They get the, the large swarms of birds flying around. We only get those usually in the fall when all those birds come together before they're going to make their trek south. So it's really beautiful. We stopped the car the other day and actually just sat and watched them flying uh, above the trees. It was magical. Oh, lovely. So we, um, I live in the same general area as Kim. We're both in the Phoenix area. She got rain. We got a little bit of rain. We got 0.36 inches over a three-day period which, you know, is a lot because all summer we um, had gotten 0.024 inches, I believe. So now we've gotten a little bit more than a half an inch of rain all summer. So we are still not green. <laughs> we have, it doesn't even look like it's rained, but it did cool it off. Just like Kim was saying, today the high is supposed to be 85. We have the windows open. We've got the doors the door, the screen door is open. We went out on an adventure yesterday. We were out for an hour and a half, and it was, it was just lovely. We saw so many lizards um, and horny toads. My, hus my husband, not my husband, my daughter is um, fixated right now on lizards. So she saw several lizards, a few desert iguana, a few smaller ones, and a horny toad, which the proper common name for that is horned lizard, but my husband's from Oklahoma and he calls it a horny toad. So we brought one of those in, let go, let our two other horny toads go um, so that we wouldn't have three at one time. And we're hearing birds, like Kim was saying. Um, so in the Phoenix, the birds tend to leave in the summer. We have a few year-round, but just as in up north, the birds leave in the winter, they fly south, well, they fly south to us. So we're getting the migrating birds from up north. So we're getting um, more birdsong, and this is definitely telling me that cool weather is should stay, even if we have a little bit, maybe we might jump back up to 100 in a couple of weeks, but it is definitely on a downward trend. We're having a high of 62 at night instead of a high of, 82 at night. So that is my Nature Minute. Um, I would like to thank Kim for coming on today and um, being our guest. It was very informative. Well, thank you. I had fun. I am so glad. Um, Lori, Jennifer, was there anything that you wanted to add before we, we let Kim go? Look forward to having you back. All right. I look forward to meeting with you guys again. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Wildwood Curriculum Podcast, Stone Chats. For more information about our free secular and inclusive curriculum based on the works of 19th century educator Charlotte Mason, please visit us at wildwoodcurriculum.org.